Hey guys, what's up? Week 205. And yes, the contest is still going on. I'll put a little picture here of what it is. It's Perdita Durango 4K, Day of the Beast 4K, um, the Blu-ray of Nosferatu in Venice, and the Blu-ray of A Scream in the Streets, all 4x7 films. All you have to do is write um, an email to davidparker1986 at live.com, and in the title, put contest. And I will draw on week 208. Uh, the four-year anniversary of this show. So it's very easy to enter. Yeah, and uh, I've reviewed and covered all those discs. Uh, the two 4Ks look excellent, and they're both great films. Nosferatu in Venice is a completely insane film, and Screaming the Streets is extremely sleazy and trashy. So if you're interested in winning those, very easy to enter. David Parker, 1986, live.com. Email that with the contest and the title. And uh, I got a bunch of contest entries already. Uh, there was a lot of kind words in the emails. I didn't reply to everybody, but I did read them, and I do appreciate them very much. Thank you a lot, guys. It, it meant a lot, and a lot of people were really nice. Some people gave me some more information about movies. So, yeah, and if I ever don't get back to you really quick, it, it's not that I don't want to. It's really a time constraint, or I might have missed it. And I know sometimes I'll even be like that with uh, reviews. Like an independent person will email me and say, do you want to cover this? And I most certainly do a lot of the times, or I'll forget, and it'll get lost in the shuffle. Emails, don't take it personal. Just hit me up again with an email, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. I don't mean to, you know, ignore anybody. I'm not like trying to be like, yeah, I don't need it. But it's just, you know, it, it gets really busy and hectic doing stuff on the internet and all this kind of stuff as well in life in general. So no, no personal offense to it. It's not that I'm trying to avoid you. It's just that sometimes I miss it or don't have time. Okay, also the suggestions for the question of the week were really great, so I'm actually going to incorporate a couple of those while we watch the video, that, while we do, watch the video, while we do the video this week too, so if you see some new things pop up, that's probably what it is. I guess we're going to start out with um, the first movie, and I got to admit, this week is kind of a weak week, um, if that makes any sense to everybody. Um, we did cover the Return of the Living Dead franchise on 22 Shots. It was kind of exhausting. It was like a very long podcast because I cannot stop running my mouth. Um, we covered one through five. Most people don't bother with four and five for good reason, but they're also 2005. So it was a, you know, kind of two birds, one stone, survival five. So let's hop into the reviews. And the first one is Beach Babes from Beyond. That's right. This is one of these covers that I would see at the video store and you'd walk by and you'd be like, oh, that's such a TNA movie. Movie, the full moon on there and everything like that and you definitely wanted to check it out and i just because it's the kids that are like that they're like oh bikinis in the 90s 1993 the director is by no surprise david dakota I hopefully I said his name right. He's directed tons and tons of movies. Early in his career, he did some of the stuff like Creepazoids and Dream Maniac, which have a little bit more, you know, I guess weight in the horror genre, of course. But Beach Babes from, is it Outer Space or just from Beyond? Oh, see, I want to say from Outer Space. Sorry, Beach Babes from Beyond. Do not kill me. This is definitely kind of a weird sex uh, comedy, but also more so a softcore film as well. The plot is very generic, very simple, very childlike. It's so strange that a lot of these 80s, this is not an 80s movie, but it's definitely a throwback to that 80s plot, or even early 90s, I guess it's in there too, where it's like, we need to come together and save something, save the beach, do something. But at the same time, it's, it's a very cheesy, kind of like goofy, light story, but then there's a bunch of TNA in it and uh, softcore sex scenes that just stop the movie completely, and then they're all dream sequences with fog and soft focus light, like, um, you know, stuff. So it's very typical in that way. But we have two guys that are um, going to visit their uncle. I don't remember his name. Some some ridiculous name, but it's played by Joe Estevez. Everybody knows Joe Estevez if they know B-movies, brother of Martin Sheen, uncle of Emilio Estevez and Martin Sheen, uh, Joe Estevez, right? So they're visiting their uncle who's going to lose his house on the beach and uh, soon they meet some uh, space babes, I guess I'll say, and they come in 
and they they crash on this planet and they realize that they're going to team up and somehow enter a bikini competition and win the money to save the uncle's house but on top of that the reason that they have to save the house is because there's a linnea a bad person in linnea quigley chewing the scenery of course that want to get the house removed and everything like that but they also have a history and a past and there's also some other characters that you would recognize or actors in here don swayze yes patrick swayze's brother's in here so we have patrick swayze's brother just a small little role as in like an alien space guy or something like that and, and it's in space not doing much not really interacting much with the characters um we have joe estevez and martin sheen's brother and then we have joey travolta and john travolta's brother and joey travolta plays this kind of vegan like uh i guess he runs a, a restaurant on the side of the beach always selling people weird food product and whatnot um very cheesy jokes um the movie is ridiculous it, it's kind of shut your brain off there's absolute moments like that go on for like 20 minutes of like dance sequences like a music video montages where this is like and it's just like we're going on for like this is padding but also it is what it is you know this is 1993 so people are watching this you know late night hbo skinamax flicks um <laughs> not necessarily a needed subgenre really anymore with the internet and and uh you know explicit porno right at your fingertips so it's kind of funny that this is definitely a timepiece you know what i mean these these uh movies like this um full moon actually remastered this one pretty well i was kind of i was, they did really good with it. It looked pretty good, especially for like a cheesy B movie. I did notice there was some ADR on here, which obviously um, Linnea Quigley and her henchmen were on a balcony talking and it's probably high wind. So the miles then sink up 100%, but uh, it is what it is. I, this movie, when you come down to it, like how do you rate something like this? Because it's mostly just a softcore goofy fluff movie um, that just wants to give you a bunch of TNA and it's there. I mean, full frontal and that kind of stuff. But at the same time, you're like, I... I it's not something that you would ever revisit or something that you need to watch a million freaking times anymore. You know what I mean? This is the kind of movie you wander in and your uncle or something is passed out on the couch with a beer in his hand and it's playing. So that's <laughs> Beach Babes from Beyond. I want to include... Um, they say this is the director's cut, and I'm not sure if there was a shorter version of this at one point with less explicit nudity. The movie opens up right away with a shower scene in full frontal, so it doesn't, you know, uh, pull its punches at all. Um, and usually David Dakota has a lot of, you know, like uh, bare-chested men in his movies as well. So there's a lot of skin. There's a lot of skin everywhere in this movie. So, yeah. Anyways, uh, I wanted to do something on here. People said, why don't you pair the movies up or give some suggestions? Well, I, I do sometimes know like a movie that's similar to this or this or this. But uh, I guess I'll try to pair the movies up somewhat. Um, now they're not going to be as good or as in-depth as they should be sometimes. But um, if I had to pair this up with the movie, I would pair it up with Space Babes from outer space which came out a couple years ago and was made by um brian williams and scott Shermer. it is a comedy a throwback sex comedy to the 80s movies but with like a, a you know nice little scientific flair it's a lot of fun i could see it kind of going well to uh this one and i would put it as a much better movie than ba uh, beach babes from beyond honestly but uh yeah check out space babes from outer space it's a good pairing with beach babes from beyond and i also am aware that the pure cinema guys do this um and i love that little aspect they do on their show so give a shout out to them they're great um yeah so anyways that is beach babes from beyond there's not really any special features to uh i think there's some making of behind the scenes uh yeah making of beach babes jeez it's 88 minutes if i would have known it was 88 minutes I most certainly would have watched that. I am very sorry. That is very half-assed on my part. I from a lot of the special features on Full Moon are typically very short, so I assumed it was you know a five-minute thing. I should have watched it. 
My bad. Hey, at least I'm honest. And there's a bunch of trailers on here as well. This is Beach Babes from Beyond Director's Cut. Okay, the next one is also a Full Moon film. And this is, well, not, it's it's released by Full Moon, I'll say. It's one of their Euro titles they've been doing lately. And this is Naked Girl Murdered in the Park. And this is, uh, I believe it's a 72 Giallo. That's kind of the heyday of Gialli, right? Is 72. And uh, Naked Girl in the Park. First and foremost, I have to say the picture quality was decent. It was okay. It wasn't great, um, and I don't really hold that, you know, on a lot of these movies because they work with what they have. But I have to call out the sound on this movie. Um, the sound on this release was so poor. There's no subtitles. There was no subtitles, which really would have helped because the sound was so poor I could not hear any of the dialogue. About, like, I want to say 25% um, of the dialogue was so hissy, and it, it's a lot of this movie is dialogue-driven, it's plot-driven, it's character-driven, it's, uh, you know, a gothic kind of insurance scam kind of horror, uh, you know, murder mystery. So without hearing a lot of the audio, I was a little bit lost, which caused uh, me to kind of lose focus a lot of times and be kind of just baffled and annoyed at what was happening. And that's a little bit my fault, but I think it's mostly the sound quality on this, not being able to hear it, not having subtitles. Not to mention that every once in a while it will dip into Italian here or there one line, but there's no subtitles titles for the Italian lines either so you're like well, uh, come on I don't want to be negative or too harsh on full moon here but it feels like there was some lack in quality control um, some people I read said that the sound was ripped from a bootleg um, I don't know if that's true or not it might have been the only sound element available at the same time so it's either you get this or you get nothing a lot of these times but hey a lot of companies you know they won't release it um, but it is what it is I just wish they probably would have put something on there that said now the sound quality is a little rough because this this and this but hey it is what it is so naked girl murdered in the park um uh i guess it tell you what it's about right the title would suggest that uh there's a naked girl murdered in the park and that does happen but it happens about 52 minutes into the film so the movie opens up with an older man um being killed in an amusement park on like a kind of a horror ride you know those rides where you go through there are in tons of horror movies and it's kind of a spooky ride. You sit in the cart and crazy things jump at you. So he is actually murdered during one of these. He rolls out. It turns out that a life insurance policy for a million dollars was taken out the day before or the day of his death. So it immediately looks like there's some shady dealings going on. We have uh, um, one of these insurance kind of guys who goes undercover and starts dating one of the women, uh, the daughters in the family. And he, he kind of like weasels his way into a weekend with them. And he's kind of courting everybody and learning more and more. And he starts to focus on some things or some there's some familiar faces in here uh the one that po popped out to me was howard ross the fingerless maybe killer and new york ripper um and a couple other faces i think that uh geez the one guy who plays um I don't want to spoil who anybody is, but uh, the the guy with the slick back hair, the older gentleman, is in, and is in a lot of these movies. The butler is in a couple of these kind of murder mysteries that I've seen. So a lot of familiar faces. Um, like I said, um, it doesn't really pick up until about the 50-minute mark where they have the uh, scene of the, the girl laying in the, the leaves in the park. And I thought that was a very good-looking scene. It's just kind of shocking. Every time you see a naked dead body in a movie just laying out in the wilderness, you're always like, hmm. That's very unpleasant. Um, I think Henry immediately and other movies like that. It's just something or like you immediately go back to like the, the scenes that the, the crime scenes is from the Hillside Stranglers and stuff like that. Not necessarily even in the wilderness with those guys. But anyways, it's always a very unpleasant scene and always takes you back. Um, 
the end actually is kind of ridiculous because the movie has a, you know, kind of a thing in the very opening, the very, very opening where it's in World War II, and you know that has to tie in everything, so you kind of figure that some of these people are that. It gets really bizarre at the end. It has some twists and turns. Uh, geez, I didn't love this film, but again, like I said, the small little details is nuances are kind of lost when you can't hear all the dialogue. So, um, if I had to pair this with one, I would probably pair it up with another kind of gothic, uh, maybe, that one's a little bit more gothic looking and atmosphere in terms, but let's just go with Murder Mansion, um, which I think is a better film, has more gothic, but also it has the kind of, uh, ending kind of deal and some differences, and I recently just watched that, so let's go Murder Mansion, um, with this one as a pairing. Uh, yeah, I might not do this every time, but if they come to me... I'm going to do it. So Murder Mansion paired up with Naked Girl Murdered in the Park. And uh, that, it's kind of a mouthful title, right? It'll probably grab a lot of people's attention. So, yeah. Okay, this is the Patreon pick, and this is from Nick Mua, and he picked The Name of the Rose. Um, and this is a, based off a novel. I am most certainly sure of that. Um, and I never read the novel. I'm not too familiar with it. It, char, it, it, shars, it, shars. it stars Sean Connery, um, uh, legendary actor Sean Connery. Um, and this takes place, and I can't think of the time period, I'm garbage with time periods, but at a time when uh, it was definitely more of a religious period of religious persecution and superstition, and um, yeah, we don't have any of that now, of course, I'm just kidding, but still. So Sean Connery is this monk, and he is called to this uh, isolated monastery that sits up on top of the mountain, and before, right when he gets there, he kind of uh, is... He used to kind of look into these things as, a, as almost a detective for the monastery. Um, there's a murder. So they, they kind of look at him to try to solve the murder, even though he doesn't do that anymore because he has a kind of a, a, a shaky past when it comes to all that kind of stuff. Um, Christian Slater is his understudy. Very young, very young Christian Slater. Um, this is, what, 80, 86. So this is before Heathers. This is before Young Guns 2. Um, geez, this has got to be one of his earlier roles. Uh, yeah, so he's kind of his understudy. And the story is kind of told by him, his narration. And the narration is that of an older man talking. And um, I'm not sure how I felt 100% about the narration and I think the narration is probably there most likely to kind of shorten the story in general because without that narration it'd probably be much longer also get more of the inside information in the character and those those heartfelt moments at the end and all that kind of stuff and also I feel like they're probably it's, it's very hard to adapt a novel without doing some sort of you know open narration like that it's kind of strange you know what I mean a film is a, a visual medium but but the narration really helps it move along. And there's a lot of people that are completely against narration, but I can't imagine the Martin Scorsese movies without it, right? I really can't, and I love it. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was kind of a strange thing to me. Um, but I don't think I dislike it or like it. I think it's just uh, just something worth noting and maybe being a little, you know, iffy on, on the fence about it. Um the visuals are great. I love the location. It's wonderfully isolated. The big building is creepy. Um, and there's a lot of good acting in here. I have to give a genuine shout out here to William Hickey, who plays um, what seems like a monk who is losing his mind. And uh, the way he acts, it feels like it's something like syphilis or something. He is so insane. And if anybody doesn't know William Hickey, his voice is super memorable. He's in, of course, you know, 92 in the Shade or um, Big Little Big Man, uh, Tales in the Dark side uh, of course nightmare before christmas he's just got a tremendous voice um and he's really creepy this is 
probably one of his finest performances I've seen in it. Uh, just very weird and creepy and uh, it's just out there. And you can feel like the sexual tension and perversity within these monks. And it's especially portrayed in this overweight, very pale gentleman who is like the assistant librarian. And here the, the books are kept hidden from anybody outside. And most of the people that are, you know, are these monks or scholars and stuff and they study these things. Everything is kept hidden and they need special permission to read these books that are hidden because they have information and, and knowledge that uh, goes against the church. So there's all that kind of stuff going on. They're definitely making a statement about the church. Um, and the murders keep piling up and Sean Connery starts to investigate and starts to figure out possibly what is happening but uh, pretty soon nobody wants to believe him and they're trying to cover things up because it makes them look bad and there's scandals and there's this whole movement within the church of the you know people wanting to give the riches of the church because they're living like fat cats up top to the poor people who are suffering which is kind of what it's all about, right? So, um, also they bring in F. Murray Abraham, who is born to play a prick from, from, uh, what, geez, Amadeus to Scarface to surviving the game. F. Murray Abraham, every single time I see him, besides Amadeus, because he's so, uh, I love him in that movie. I want to strangle him. And that's a, that's a compliment because he's such a prick in all these freaking movies, man. He is such an asshole in this movie. He comes in and he has a history with Sean Connery and their, their interactions are pretty strong. Um, and I just hate him in the movie. It gets to this point at the end where it almost becomes super insane and, and pulpy to me where I'm almost like, are, are, would these characters, would this happen with them? Almost like Witchfinder General and stuff like that, which is a fantastic movie and it's a satisfying movie, but you know, it's not necessarily probably what would happen, but I don't really care. Anyways, I really like this movie. I thought it was very good. Um, the ending is it, it's touching and strange, and I, I do enjoy the film. Uh, Sean Connery is always has a great screen presence. Always enjoy watching him. Uh, can't really go wrong with him for me. Even if you know he's playing an Irish beat cop with a Scottish accent and Untouchables, I don't give a shit because it's Sean Connery and I'm here to see the guy. Okay, I know some people would have complaints about that, but um, Christian Slater is pretty solid in here. And there's some explicit sex scenes and some uh, you know religious iconography that's pretty uh, fairly disturbing with the um, heavy set gentleman flogging himself because of his transgressions. Uh, so any. Anyways, I think it's a good film. I'm glad I watched it. Um, definitely a, a unique murder mystery that I had not really seen, and I not heard many people talk about it. Um, and a good cast, too. A lot of very memorable faces, too. Uh, also, I would pair this up with something like Black Rainbow, um, the one with Jason Robars. But I will go with something. It's not as good as In the Name of the Rose or The Name of the Rose. I would go with... Um, Apprentice to Murder with Donald Sutherland, which is kind of a Southern Gothic murder mystery too, involving religion and stuff. And I think that's a good movie. Arrow put that one out. So uh, pair it up with Apprentice to Murder. And not as strong as this movie, but that's the one that comes to mind off the top of my head. So yeah. Okay, like I said, we covered the Return of the Living Dead films, and I've covered one on here, I think decently in depth for a dive into 85 what can I say about it? One of my all-time favorite movies. My second favorite film of all time. I've covered part two on here. Uh, also one I adore. I didn't cover the Scream Factory release. I watched it beforehand. And make sure if you do watch the Return of the Dead part two, you watch it with the original soundtrack. The uh, new crappy soundtrack they did for the DVD is pretty awful. I love the uh, sequel as well, although it is comedic and lighter and doesn't really get what made Return of the Dead part one good. <laughs> I still like it, okay? Um, and I never don't think I've ever covered Return of the Dead part three on here which I am also a big fan of, um, Brian Usna. The funny thing is, the first time I saw this film, I was probably like, ah, geez, 87. I was probably like eight or nine. 
Um, and my grandfather used to bootleg tapes and bring them down. And um, somebody put this tape in at my cousin's house. And me and my cousin were playing. He was a couple years younger than me. So if I'm eight, he's six. Uh, I'm probably, he's probably like seven. So we're running around the house. And we put this in. I like the horror movies. I like the zombies. Um, and this is such a gory, gross movie in the background. We see the zombie coming out of the the, the trioxin canister. And he's ripping his shoulder off and running. And we're like, Ugh. You're like, this is so gross. We legitimately are feeling bad for the, the store clerk getting killed and anyways the plot of Returnal Ming Dead 3 doesn't really follow much the first two it, it carries over the tracks and which all the films do um, but it, it has a different tone it has a different story it's a Brian Usna movie so we're going to get as much surreal over the top gore as we could possibly get in that right that's kind of his MO which I love um, so yeah it's a Romeo and Juliet style story of two lovers that are young one dies in a motorcycle accident they know where his father works at the uh, military place they witness sneaking in um a corpse brought back to life by the trioxin. They did not see the horrible results, actually, but they left before that. So he decides to sneak in, uh, stealing his father's card and bring his girlfriend back to life. She starts to turn into a zombie, a la Frank and Freddy, slowly and in pain. And she realizes that there's an ungodly hunger within her body. And to kind of stop this hunger, she has to create pain for herself. So we have this weird mixture of her creating pain to subside the hunger and um, also subside her hunger to eat her lo the person she loves, which holds her back. So they have some run-ins with some criminals, so they, like this kind of low-rent gang with... The lead, the lead of this gang is the guy who's in RoboCop, who screams "fuck me," who gets thrown into the uh, display case. He's also in a bunch of other movies, Death Wish Four, Cyclone. He's just um, Desperado, just plays a goon character actor. So he leads them. Uh, he's leading the gang. They have a run-in with them, so they're after them, and the military's after them because they realized what happened. And uh, throughout their way, they're starting an outbreak of trioxin. They change some of the rules around now. Bites will turn you to a zombie. Originally in Return of the Dead Part 1, it seemed like you had to get the trioxin on you or be buried and have the trioxin get in the soil or something along those lines. In Part 2, it seemed the same kind of deal. Um, and this time, Part 3, it seems that you can be bitten and it, it can go into you. Um, so I will. over time, all the films kind of change the rules. Some are more forgivable than others, especially if you like the movie already. So uh, what happens is just a series of people being mangled and killed and a love in the middle of this thing. Um, I like the film. It's gory, and um, Melinda Clark is fantastic. Uh, it is kind of a, it's over the top too. And the end, it ends in this military extravaganza with all these creatures breaking out and just pure chaos. Very Brian Usna. Um, I like the film. Always have. Um, I like the idea that the dad is not a complete, you know, military prick that they would put characters like that. So many times they'd be like, a complete monster. They would make them so unlikable. They would be so nonsensical. Um, sometimes when they do make the drill sergeant or somebody who's ever in charge, the military style character somewhat likable or understandable, you definitely like them more. Think Warren Oates and Stripes. You're like having to deal with Bill Murray. You're like... I get where he's coming from, really. And they give him moments. And this one, I'm not saying he's as good as Born Oats and Stripes or anything like that. But I do think that he is a little bit more likable than a lot of the other characters or the authoritarian father figure military dads in movies I've seen. Um, anyways, I really like this one. Great special effects, although they are done on a budget. They are budget effects, you know what I mean? But 
they're good. They're Steve Johnson good. They're a bunch of other people. Wayne Toth good. So um, also this release is loaded with features. When I originally got this, I did check out all the features. Unfortunately, I did not get a chance to rewatch the features for the um, for the new uh, watch on here for the cover. But there's a commentary by Brian Usna, um, actor, the interview with actress Melinda Clark, special effects artist um, Tom Ramone. Well, it looks like there's uh, commentaries with all of them. And then there's a conversation with director Brian Usna, screenwriter John Penny, interviews with special effects artist Steve Johnson and Chris Nil uh, Nelson. Interviews with production executive David Trippett and an editor slash post production supervisor Christopher Roth. Theatrical trailers, still gallery, and it is the unrated version on here. Finally, unrated right there because the rated version cuts out a lot of the gore. Um, I love the tagline on the movie, I love the cover. I like the weird kind of bondage, um, pain, pleasure thing like that, and the gothic thing. It's stuff. It just works, okay? It's very also 1993, the same year as Beach Babes from Beyond. So we have a connection there. Um, if I had to pair up Return of the Dead Part 3 with a movie, I know it's obvious, it's on the head, but it's got to be Brighter Reanimator. Also by Brian Usna. I think that it is the closest to it. And not a necessarily would you want to watch a movie that's exactly the closest. But I'm not going exactly double feature pairing. I'm going with kind of, if you like this, you may like this. So we'll go Bride of Reanimator. Also by Usna. Also a lot of the same special effects artists. Also a lot of the same sentiments in the movie. So yeah. Okay, hopping in the Survive 05. And I want to be brief with these, okay? We covered them on the show. But this is Return of the Living Dead Necropolis. A.K.A. Return of the Living Dead 4 necropolis oh boy so okay this is actually written by i think um billy butler did this as well didn't he write some of this written by billy butler and aaron strongnani i think that's the same team that wrote ginger dead man from this year and uh i don't know if they had two days to write these movies but it sure seems like it the director actually did eight-legged freaks and the sequel to this um these were direct to dvd or direct to tv movies i think made for the sci-fi channel although this one has a lot of practical gore effects and i think it might even have some nudity or the next one does so they definitely cut them down for television it's made in eastern europe so like it takes place in america i think but it's made in eastern europe and it so the movie has like 50% Eastern European actors with these really thick accents and you're just confused by everyone's talking like that even though it's in America. Peter Coyote is in the film and he walks around like this the whole time. I don't know if he had like a weird like dentures or like a massive overbite at this point but it's just like he's just like this the whole time with his mouth open and he just has i don't know what he's doing it's very strange it's very distracting and maybe he's just so embarrassed to be in it he's just cringing the whole time because we're talking about peter coyote was in big movies like et southern comfort and then lesser kind of like slay ground and stuff but it's still weird to see him in this because he's the only recognizable name in the entire film um basically the plot of this is trioxin had um the last attack we had was in 10 years ago in part three so the world is aware that they did have these zombie outbreaks before. So people, I think, are aware of trioxin and the effects of it. So essentially, um, the main character's parents died in a tragic accident. Him and his brother have to live with their Uncle Charlie. Uncle Charlie is Peter Coyote. He's a sleazebag that works at this big corporation. I can't remember its name. Think Amazon if they worked in like genetic modification and all that kind of shit. They basically own everything. Who says Amazon doesn't, right? Um, they'll soon own it if they don't. So basically what happens is one of their friends gets in a motorcycle accident. He gets taken away and uh 
paramedic ambulance and uh, they go to visit him at the hospital. They said he died. One of their other friends works at this facility and they see them bring him in and it looks like they're going to do some experiments on him. They decide to break him out. So they break in this high security facility with the help of their friend to break him out of the place. But they soon discover that the place has a bunch of experiments and a bunch of zombies. The zombies do not follow any of the same rules, although they call it Trioxin 5 instead of Trioxin 245. Um, so they don't follow the rules. You could head kill them, head shoot them, which kind of destroys the fun of Return of the Dead in the first place. Although their limbs still move when they're brought to life. So I don't know what the hell they're going on about. Just sloppy writing, inconsistencies. The characters and acting is not spectacular. The sp practical effects are solid and fun, and I feel bad for them. And they, they spend all their money on that, right? It doesn't really stop. There's lots of action, lots of stupid stuff happening that keeps you interested, even if it's awful. Um, they do these bio-grade military zombie weapons, which is a kind of a take on the military programming of the zombies. So it's a next step. Although they are cheap and they don't do anything. Like they, they're there and they're hyped up, but then they just die in seconds and barely do a thing. So it's just like, what's the point of this? That'd be like if you watch class in 1999 and the robot teachers literally did nothing and just like fell over and got killed. Um, so yeah. It just, it, it, they like plan up to them doing something. They don't really do anything. So, um, yeah, it's not really a very good movie. The, the practical effects I enjoy, but besides that, the writing's sloppy, the characters are sloppy, and it's just too dumb. It's just really dumb, and it doesn't seem like they watched the other movies or cared enough to put any heart and soul on it. But it seems very rushed at the same time. They probably offered these people a paycheck, and we're like, hey, you got to hurry up and make this movie. We got this amount of time. We don't care about that. And there was a, probably an, a, a, a language barrier if they're making these. Eastern Europe, half crew American. It's just probably a sloppy mess in the translation and the dialogue and the script. Nothing just came out right. It just comes off really awkward and weird. And, you know, sometimes those movies end up being fun when, like, you have a foreign director making an American movie or vice versa. They kind of have these weird obstacles they have to get over and you get something like Halloween Night, which is just really bizarre but goofy and fun and, and strange. And uh, and I enjoy it. This one, it's kind of a failure of that. So, um, Return of the Dead Necropolis, uh, no. No. If I had to pair this up with something, um, geez, uh, I guess it's a movie that's a little bit better. Uh, go with uh, Kurtzman's The Rage. Robert Kurtzman's, or is it Kurtzman's or Kurt Kirksman? The Rage, which is not a great film, but it has Andrew Divoff uh, doing these experiments on making these crazy mutated zombies. I remember some really awful CGI buzzards in it, and I'm probably not recommending one that's much better than this, but hey, I'm going to recommend The Rage, because I, I remember it being a little better than this, and remember really liking the concept, so I guess we're going to recommend The Rage by Robert Kurtzman with Return of the Dead, Necropolis. Okay, the next one from Survival 5 is Return of the Living Dead, Rave to the Grave. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so funny. It's a great title. Uh, that's obviously me being a facetious asshole. Um, so Rave to the Grave, it's supposed to be a direct sequel to the original. So, um, let me, spoilers for Necropolis. Um, the opening of the, uh, the ending, like the ending of the movie. So we figure out Uncle Charlie is this massive, horrible piece of shit. And he's like done, he's caused the death of all his friends, his brother, his parents, and these military grade weapons. But yet it opens up with Uncle Charlie dying. And the main character is being like his friends basically tell him, we're sorry your uncle died, man. It's like, no. Two of you people survived your his uncle's asshole antics, and you guys are literally going to... What is going on here? You should be like, man, I'm sorry about your parents and everything that happened, but I'm glad that asshole is dead. 
and because and he's acting sad about it. I don't know what world's going on. Because if his uncle had disappeared after the first movie, like he did, why is he? He must be eighteen. Did he inherit all the stuff? Where was he staying? None of these things are answered. None of it is explained. So basically, he decides to go in his uncle's house and look around and snoop. He finds a barrel of trioxin instead of calling a military or something like that to figure it out because he knows his uncle was not on the up and up and he was doing these weird experiments in the first place, which caused the living dead to come back. So he decides to take the barrel and ask his friend who survived the first movie, who remembers all the zombies and the trouble, to kind of look into it and do a huge chemistry thing and figure out what it is. One of their other idiot friends decides to just take the drug. He just takes it. Like, it's a drug and he gets high, so they're like, hmm. So they start selling this stuff that comes out of a barrel from a person that was doing physical experiments. It's the worst plot point I've ever seen in a movie in so long. It literally makes no sense. It has no logical sense. And it feels like these two movies were made at the same time. They didn't know which one was coming first and they somehow cobbled them together and it just doesn't come out right. It just doesn't work. None of it works. Nobody's acting human. Nothing makes sense. The humor in this one's worse. It's not very funny at all. It's very lowbrow, very not well done either. It's not set up. Nothing is really done except the cheerleader scene. It is kind of set up. I guess I'll give them that, although it's not great. Um, the acting I think is pretty bad in this one, so especially from some of the zombies who are like, brains! It's just not good at all to me. The comedy's low. The gore is less. There's less killing until the very end. Um, the Rave to the Grave was pretty much all they had going for them, so they basically saved all the moments and all the money and anything decent until they get to the last 20 minutes, but by then it's too little, too late. I just, I think it's horrible. I think it's the second worst movie of 2005. I will never watch this again. I think it was rushed. I think it's cheap, and I think it's a horrible way to close out. Um, I would say otherwise great franchise, but you got part four too. Um, so you guys can see that it's not really the changing of things that bother me that much because I love part two and I part three and they're nothing like one and they're not nearly as good as one and you know what I don't care I still love those movies maybe I saw them at a younger time maybe I have a special place for it maybe I can just forgive them because I'm more familiar with them and I see other aspects that I adore in them I don't see much in part four that I like I see nothing in part five that I like um and I I just don't get it and I know people like well, this movie cost ten dollars I had a week to write it I had a week to make it let's see you do better I wouldn't do better because I wouldn't accept it. I would say no. Even if I was in the position to accept that, I would not accept Return of the Dead Part 5. I don't want to be a dick. I'm not judging anybody for making it, but I'd rather starve. Being proud doesn't help, but hey, maybe I'm not even proud. You're talking about a guy who's sitting in a, in a, a tank top in his room full of movies. So I'm obviously, not, <laughs> I'm a nerd. So, but still, man, I just would, I would never want to do this movie. But hey, you got to eat. It is what it is. Uh, Return of the Dead 5. Pass. Hard pass. Okay, the next one from Survive 05 is Reincarnation, part of the eight films to die for. This is by the director of The Grudge. Here's a surprise. I've never seen The Grudge. I've seen The Ring. I've seen One Miss Call. I've seen Dark Water. I've seen Pulse. Never seen The Grudge. That's crazy, right? I know. It's a weak, it's a weak spot. But Okay, so Reincarnation. I put this in, and I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, this is the 23rd Asian film out of the 76 I've watched for 05. So I've watched a lot of Asian films. I had that as a focus because I knew that in the early 2000s and stuff like that, mid-2000s, Asia was really strong with their horror game. And I would say Reincarnation backs that up. Um, I really like this. This starts off very creepy. Um, I can't remember which scene exactly is first, but we have this kind of this guy. Uh, he's backing into an elevator. He sees something out of the corner of his eye, and he ends up getting an elevator backing up into it, and he realizes it's got to be some sort of ghost or something. He turns around and is looking at him. He's very creeped out. And we also have this moment where this guy's in a bathroom. He's looking at himself in the mirror, and his face starts to change to like a gray ghost face. We cut to him driving down the road, and um, he looks away on this country road just for a split second, this windy country road, and there's a figure in the middle of the street. And he runs them over. 
He gets out to check. He looks under the truck and the, the thing that he ran over is a person that's staring at him. It's really creepy. It's really Carnival of Souls style. He ends up running back to his cab of his truck and all these faces are staring at him through his windshield. And I was like, oh boy, that is very strange. And with the title Reincarnation, we start to get this kind of idea of possibly what's going on. Um, so we have these this major character who... Is this young girl? She's kind of a, I guess I would say, introverted, quiet. She's a struggling actress. Um, she ends up going to audition for this role. The director's really focused on her. He ends up giving her the role, and she turns out the role she's getting is that of a young girl who was murdered. Um, she's playing that. But so the director is making a movie about a real life incident, a real life case where I think eleven people were murdered by one individual. So that's basically what's happening here. They're going to try to recreate the hotel that it happened in. And pretty pretty soon enough, they start to have these weird kind of moments happening. And she starts to believe that she is possibly the reincarnated version of this young girl who was murdered. So she starts to get these flashes of the past, especially when she's reenacting the moments in the hotel and all that kind of thing. And uh, it starts to seem like some of those corpses or those people, those ghosts in the beginning were the victims of this murder. And they are coming back. And they are basically getting set in motion to do some things. Um, I don't want to spoil anything, but I do want to talk more about how interesting the end and all, how interesting everything is. So I guess I'll say there's some decent creepy moments. There's a wonderful reveal at the end, which I thought was kind of brilliant. And uh, I really liked the movie. I really enjoyed it. I think there's some creepy things involving a doll. And the doll actually makes sense why. Um, the kids, two of the kids that were in the original murder uh, had these toys with them. So they're kind of incorporated. One, a ball. think the changeling right the, the ball the very creepy ghost thing and um a doll which is a very obvious thing to do so these things are um incorporated into her hallucinations and they kind of in, uh, kind of help haunt her or show her what happened so um anyways really like this one now i'm gonna get in the spo spoiler territory <coughs> sorry losing my voice so What's genius about this movie is the entire time you think that she's possibly the reincarnated version of this little girl. But the reveal at the very end of the film is all these people, some of the people we saw at the very beginning that were kind of encountering these ghosts, have been taken over by their spirits. They're basically, were the reincarnated versions of them, and the spirits have taken over their bodies to, f to carry out an act of revenge which is really brilliant. So all these people wander back to the hotel, including herself, and she's wandering around and there is a reveal that she is not, she is not the little girl. She is the actual murderer. So all these ghosts are coming to get their revenge on her. And that kind of blew my mind, was very well done, was very creepy. And it ends in, in kind of a strange way. And there's a really great moment where her, her agent is watching the video footage that she shot, or I, I can't believe uh, was shot for the film. Um, oh, no, no, no. It's actually the initial footage that the killer shot while he was murdering. So the agent is watching that footage because it was left under her bed. And she is in the actual situation in the hotel where it's being recreated in a way. And <clears throat> the agent is watching and the killer has the camera in the point of view. And there is like a knife or that he pulls out. And the reflection you see is the girl is the reincarnated girl to him. So he's like, oh no. And the girl is actually trying to fend off uh, the, the little girl or the doll coming after her. And there's a knife involved. And she sees her reflection and it's the killer. And I was like, oh man, that is such a nice touch. That is so cool. Um, just really like this one. And, I th and, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of ghost stories, but when I do like ghost stories, they're usually classics. I love classic ghost stories like The Changeling and stuff like that. How can you not? And I like the Asian ones when they're done well. Like, 
the ring and and of course um i, I come i've come a long way on pulse a couple time watches i i've really enjoyed pulse and dark water is very good and this one i really liked so reincarnation cool movie from 05 liked it good stuff so yeah uh check it out uh i hadn't heard really any people give this a lot of love but I, i'm giving it some love i really liked it oh I almost messed up, guys. Almost jumped to the next one. So the movie I would pair this up with is um, Occult, which is a cool kind of crazy found footage. Uh, I wouldn't say ghost story, but it's pretty bizarre and nuts and different. So uh, the director of No Roy did this one. It's called Occult. Not Cult. He did one called Cult, but this one is called Occult. O-C-C-U-L-T. Great stuff. Okay, the next one from Survival 5 is White Noise, starring Michael Keaton. That's right. This one I had not seen. Um, I know it was kind of one of the more popular ones, and White Noise is very creepy kind of subject matter, you know. Um, ever since Poltergeist, right? Poltergeist kind of perfected the white noise, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't really know how to go about this. So we have Michael Keaton, and he is basically, a, I think he's an architect or something along those lines, and he's happily married. He has a daughter. Um, um, is it a son or daughter? I can't remember. And his ex-wife is in the picture. They're still on good terms. So one day his wife is driving, um, and she never comes back. Uh, her car's pulled over to the side of the road by, by some water, and they never find the body for a long period of time. He is uh, very distraught, very upset. Um, and this one day, this heavy set man approaches him. The the big guy from stuff like Ace Ventura, Pet Detective Part Two, or whatever nature calls. He's in that movie. He's in a bunch of stuff. So he approaches him and says, "Your wife's been." He's very British. Your wife's been communicating me through white noise. He thinks he's nuts, but he starts to kind of lean into it. He eventually goes over there and he realizes that this guy gets all these communications from white noise, people from the past life trying to tell him things. He starts to look into it and of course before long it starts to get darker and more sinister. There's voices coming through that don't seem so friendly and also um, usually when something's calling you from the other side it's not always something that you want to call you, right? Think of the movie Anything for Jackson, you don't always get who you want. Um, so stuff like that. Um, I thought this one was okay, kind of right down the middle. At first it's very intriguing, it pulls you in. I like Michael Keaton, but over time it became kind of typical in, in a lot of ways. I wouldn't say exactly typical, but uh, the story unfolds and you kind of feel somewhat where it's going. There's these shadow entities that are pulled into the picture that I'm a little iffy on. I, I Overall, I, I really couldn't keep my focus after like the hour mark. I just kind of want to be over. I don't, not, and that's probably my fault a little bit. I don't think it's horrible. I think it has an interesting idea. I think that it's kind of cool that the, the spirits would communicate through white noise. But uh, I would stick with something like The Ring if you want some kind of white noise television horror or something along the lines, or Poltergeist or something. But it has a decent concept. Um, I've just never been too big on the, the modern ghost story stuff. Um, it is a good idea to start a ghost story with a tragedy, with a loss. Think, again, the Changeling, right? Um, and it, Or Don't Look Now, which isn't a ghost story, but maybe a premonition movie. Definitely supernatural. But that's a good way to start a horror film with a loss like that, a catalyst for something, because people that are desperate have desperate best measures there is some good detective work here kind of in the the vein of the ring too where he's like starts to look into the case and starts to realize people missing and like they tie into being involved with the guy who told him about the the spirits talking to him so it all kind of comes together in a decent way it's all right it's not bad it's just not something i would revisit too often if i had to pair this one up with something i would just go straight up with um the original ring from 98 or maybe it's later than that the original ring let's go with that so i'd go with that one 2001 maybe i'm not sure before that, 99 or something. But some people call it Ringu. Most people say it's the Amer the original Ring, the Japanese movie. So, yeah. 
Okay, this next one here is Saw 2, and this is from the Complete Collection. I actually watched um, the Voodoo version that I have that came with it, the unrated Voodoo version, and I thought it actually looked and sounded really good on the surround sound. Sometimes the Voodoo versions um, will do better than your disc um, occasionally. Let me take a sip of coffee. This is pretty much my only uh, vice. Well, that and chicken wings. I love my chicken wings. Um, so I guess, is chicken wings a vice? I'm not sure. Okay, so let's get into Saw 2, directed by Darren Lynn Bowsman. Um, after the success of Saw 1, they kind of rushed in a sequel, and I don't think this script was originally a Saw movie. They kind of padded in Jigsaw and all that, and they tied it together. So um, the, let's get into things I like. Um, I think that Jigsaw, Tobin Bell was pretty solid in it. I like his demeanor. Um, he's, he's a good actor. He's a good, he's a good um, villain. He's a good horror movie villain. Jigsaw's, he's, he's interesting. I like him. Um, his acting's good, too. And it's always nice to see a character actor get some recognition, some love. Um, Donnie Wahlberg in this movie, uh, Wahlberg, is basically reminds me of, you know how, like, in the 90s, uh, Bruce Willis just basically was like a, like a cop who was kind of, like, disenfranchised or just kind of really, like, uh, outsider cop who always looked like he was miserable and had a hangover, but it was, like, fun and, and Bruce Willis-y and... I don't know. This is Donnie Wahlberg is just like Wahlberg is like the miserable version of that. And Bruce Willis already seems miserable in those movies. So this is like the like the hard and gritty version of of hungover Bruce Willis and striking distance or some shit like that. So Donnie Wahlberg, um, basically he um he gets called into this case uh because he's he's called out by a jigsaw and there's another case going on where there's a bunch of people trapped within this uh, this building, and you know it's a jigsaw trap. And he has to save the people, and he's trying to figure out interrogating Tobin Bell about everything so he can figure out how to save these people. So that's pretty much it. We cut back between these two storylines of Donnie Wahlberg kind of being upset with Tobin Bell and going back and forth um, to these five or six people trying to survive in a jigsaw puzzle. I don't think the kills are very good in this movie. Like, they're not as good as, like, later sequels from what I hear. Like, I've never even watched later sequels, but the stuff that people tell me, like, the crazy elaborate traps, I feel like they're a little lackluster in this one. And the first one, I feel like there's better traps, too. Um, but, you know, the idea of Jigsaw is pretty unique, pretty cool. Um, but, like I said, the kills aren't great. Uh, the characters are obviously, in Saw movies, they're never that likable. Glenn Plummer is in here. He's decent. I like him. And of course, Donnie Wahlberg's kid is in the situation. I should probably mention that. That's why it makes him very upset about the situation and kind of losing his grip. Um, so yeah. And uh, yeah, basically it's just five or six people trying to survive. There's a nerve gas going through the building. They have X amount of time. Um, the weird thing is at times, like, you know, obviously there's like triggers for doors opening, but like they like feel like there's one point where this character just wanders in a room. It feels like the door was open the whole time and they never checked that room before. Um, so basically they're all fighting over antidotes and there's a guy Frankie G who is in what was the movie Confidence with Dustin Hoffman and Edward Burns I believe and he's in this and he is just not a very good actor in this movie he's just very over the top and I understand his character that he's just like I'm tough you know I've lived on my life all alone I don't need any help and I get that but he's just a little too uh character type like I mean not even character type just over the top to the point where you're like what is this guy doing um also I just don't know uh, like I said, the murders didn't do much for me. Uh, there's lots of like kind of dumb things and, and points. The people are all kind of annoying. Um, the Frankie G character is supposed to play kind of like a big dumb ox, and he definitely plays that. I don't, and I just don't particularly like this movie very much. I don't hate it. I don't think it's awful. I just don't think it really works all that well. There is a great twist in the movie. Uh, I wouldn't even say great. You know what? I would say it's a really good twist, and I would say if this movie lacked that twist, 
No one would ever talk about it. And I don't mean that as an insult to the movie because sometimes the ending of a movie can make the whole, or make or break all entire film. But the twist here with uh, some of the things was pretty new, pretty cool. Um, I did notice Diz was in here from um, Starship Troopers as a police officer. I liked her. Um, I don't know. I just really don't have that much to say. I don't particularly care for the aesthetic of these movies. Everything looks very green, looks very weird. The editing has always been a little off to me, um, especially in the opening. But I don't hate it as much as like Saw editing is better than a lot of the movies that tried to rip it off. Off. unfortunately these the people that try to rip off the saw editing with the quick cuts are just really poorly edited while saw is although i don't like the editing style i wouldn't say it's poorly edited if that makes any sense to anybody i feel like it's a lot more professional than a lot of the other things like when you get the saw ripoff style editing you basically just get a guy throw a bunch of plastic wrap around a room spray blood on the wall and then just run around and do this kind of like when i do like a room tour and i'm holding the camera that's what a saw like ripoff movie looks like you just got a guy walking around like an idiot like me being like eh, it's a movie that's a DVD. You know, that's, I'm sorry. I don't have much to say about the Saw films. I just don't particularly have any love for them. And I don't want to be negative. I think the first one was good. I do think it's a good movie. It's just that I never had much pleasure to revisit it. Um, and I don't particularly think, I don't love James, uh, Darren Lynn Bowsman's films. I don't like Repo, the genetic opera. I don't like this very much. The Adabatoire movie um, was all right. Um, I thought that had some interesting concepts about it. it probably, I, I think I like that one. It's been a while. I just don't want to be too negative on the guy. Maybe I'll, I'll enjoy Saw 3 or 4 better. But like I said, I watched this because I know that some of the people I'm doing the 05 show with are big fans of it. And I figured I better check it out again, give it the benefit of a doubt. And I don't hate it. It's, it's all right. Um, some of the effects are good, but I just think the deaths should be a little bit better. And Shawnee Smith... Like, she's a good actress, but I just don't think she's great in this one either. There is a couple moments that you're like, holy shit. Um, the needle scene. The needle scene is a holy shit moment. I kind of like that. Um, but it's just also an aggravating situation in, in its entirety, right? Just to watch this. I think I would have just sat down and died. I just would have let myself die. I don't care enough in that kind of situation or I would, you know, but, uh, yeah, if I had to pair this up with a movie, I would go with, uh, James Wan movie. James Wan directed the first, uh, Saw film and I would go with my favorite James Wan movie and that's gotta be Death Sentence. The most underrated James Wan movie that I, I, I haven't watched a lot of his movies. I've seen a handful actually, but I would go with Death Sentence, which is the sequel kind of to Death Wish, if that makes any sense. Basically, it, uh, the writer of Death Wish wrote another sequel. He wrote a sequel to it called Death Sentence, and this is a movie version of that. So check it out. It's got Kevin Bacon. It's got John Goodman in it. It's a revenge film. It's really good. I really enjoy it. Um, and uh, I, I think it's great stuff. It's Death Sentence. Good good film. You get it on HD on Vudu and Amazon and stuff like that. So yeah, good stuff. Okay, this next one here is from 05, and it is Cursed by Wesley Craven. That's right. And I know people are like, Dave, you just hated on Return of the Dead Part 4 and 5 and Saw 2 and you just see and White Noise. You seem like a miserable prick. But you know what movie I'm not going to hate on? I'm not going to hate on Cursed. Uh, okay? I know. I know people hate this movie. I know it was a huge disappointment for you. I know it wasn't the next screen that you wanted it to be with Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson behind it. I know that the studios took it away and cut this movie to shreds and shot it like three times and made a horrible mistake. And it's not a great film. But I will say is this, I don't hate it. I don't hate my I don't hate my time with it. The unrated version is the one I watched. I've seen this movie a couple times. And I remember back in like 2010, one of my friends finally gave it to me to watch it. And they everybody told me it was so horrible. It was so bad. It was the worst thing Wes Craven ever did. I pop it in and I'm just like, it's not great, but it's not that bad. It's very much a product of its time. I didn't hate it. Maybe it's just that 
people don't realize that there were not that many good werewolf movies. There's not even that many watchable werewolf movies, to be to be honest. There's a handful. I mean, Wolfman, American Wolf in London, Howling, Silver Bullet, uh, Bad Moon. I mean, and then Curse of the Werewolf. What what else is there? Wolfman vs. Frankenstein? I feel like I've named them all. Um, so, like, this one, I do think it is decent. It is decent for what it is. It's a very Kevin Williamson stink, okay? You got that teen stuff. So basically, it's a brother and sister in Christina Ricci and Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, one day, they're out driving. Jesse Eisenberg's kind of a loser. Christina Ricci's the older sister taking care of him. I think the parents are either out of town or they're just dead or something. I can't remember. I can't remember. That's terrible on my part. So basically, what happens is there is a car accident. They hit some big kind of wolf. I wonder if it's a werewolf. So they hit a werewolf, um, but they also cause an accident of this uh, this young girl to go off the side of the road. I think it's Shannon Elizabeth, actually. And the werewolf kind of encounters them and bites them and scratches them. And pretty soon over time, they start to realize that they have these kind of special powers. They're getting stronger. Jesse Eisenberg has this sexual allure about him that attracts both man and women, uh, man and woman. So uh, basically what happens is he goes from dork to like, you know, kind of cool guy, right? That's a very typical thing in these movies. Uh, so yeah, and Christina Ricci is also kind of doing this whole business thing where she is like, I don't know necessarily know what she's doing. She's kind of an agent. She gets people in and stuff like that. And she has like an arch nemesis at work and Julie Greer, who's good in this and fun. Um, so yeah, she's also dating a mysterious, yeah, hunky guy. You know, you know, it's 2005, it's Kevin Williamson. Everybody's hunky. Yeah. Um, so basically, uh... You know, it's enjoyable. The werewolf, when it's their CGI f stuff with the werewolf and with some other things that happen, doesn't look great. It looks like crap. Rick Baker was supposedly involved with this movie, but I feel like all his effects were cut. This is probably one of the movies that contributed to him just saying, fuck this, I'm out. Uh, along with, what was the other one? Um, the Wolfman saying, fuck this, I'm out. Uh, one of the cats is playing with a bottle cap under the door. But uh, yeah, so... Anyways, I, I don't hate the film. I'm going to be honest. It's, it's kind of stupid and goofy. Mi Milo, uh, Vilo Venta Milagio or whatever his name is, he's the bully in this. And I do like that him and him and Jesse Eisenberg team up after he kind of beats him up in a wrestling match. And I like that, that, that kind of moment. That's a very 80s thing. This movie actually feels more 80s than anything. It feels like it's inspired by like stuff like The Lost Boys, although not as good as that or something like that. It definitely has that weird kind of charm to it. The opening of the movie has that weird uh, moment where two, two girls are basically meeting a carnival psychic and they do the whole beware the moon from the wolfman. They do the whole thing like that. They even incorporate like the pentagram, which I think uh, in the original wolfman Lon Chaney has. So Wes Craven's doing a little bit of shout out love or what Kevin Williamson to the original Wolfman, which I do appreciate because uh, Lon Chaney Jr. is the man. Um, his performance brings that movie home for sure. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, it's okay. It, it don't it's not going to be my top ten. Okay, there is some gore effects too in the in the unrated version. Some guts falling out and stuff. It don't and this is the day when they were like we could, we added ten seconds. Now it's unrated because we didn't submit it, so we can get double dipping people who saw it in theaters to rent the DVD because they think it's going to be a gore fest. But it's not really. We're not talking about unrated. You know, Last House on the Left here. We're talking about unrated Cursed, which is basically two minutes of somewhat gore that would probably make it an r or a light r but uh cursed i don't hate it i don't but i'm not going to give it like a hearty recommend or anything like that so yeah oh i keep doing this i keep doing this so cursed <sighs> 
what am I going to pair up with Cursed? I have one written down, but I don't know if I want to be that obvious about it. So, um, geez, you could go with something like The Lost Boys. Um, or you could go with something like The Faculty, which is also a Kevin Williamson movie, which is also better. Um, so I'll, not than The Lost Boys, but it's better than Cursed. So we'll go with The Faculty. We'll go that way. All right, we're here for Blind Spot. It's kind of a rainy, weird day, and it looks like we're like, actually look like deer in headlights right now. But that's okay, because I wanted to change the scenery <laughs> and apparently die. But this is Cat People. This is my pick. Since we messed up, we're doing two of mine in a row. Next week will be The Innocents. Um, yeah, I think it's The Innocents. So, yeah, Cat People, 1942. Um French director, right? Jacques, uh, whatever, I'm not going to be able to say his last name, oh, so why even bother? But it's produced by Val Luton. I think this is the first Val Luton movie we've covered. He was a very influential, very popular producer uh, in the 40s, and they basically made a lot, he made a lot of independent uh, horror films on a budget to compete with the Universal films. This one was made in 1942, which is a year, I believe, after The Wolfman. Wolfman's either 41 or 42, so it's around the same time as The Wolfman. And it shares a lot of DNA and similarities to The yeah. Wolfman. It's almost like, it's kind of funny. It feels like a Marvel vs. DC thing. It was like, well, we got a Wolfman. We got a cat girl. Yeah, that's right. Like, you know what I mean? And it mm -hmm. feels a lot like that. So basically the plot is of a young woman who starts to be interested in this, uh, I, I don't remember what this guy does. He's just a douchebag. I think of. he's like an architect. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, yeah. They he, have lots of big sheets of paper, which to me it just means architect. I think he's like a fashion designer or no, something. No, she's a fashion designer. Okay. He has like a protractor at, at one point. Uh, okay. So he yeah. basically meets this young girl. They kind of immediately start a relationship. She's a little worried about going further with him because she mm -hmm. stems from her like where she came from and the superstitions and all that kind of stuff. Of course, nobody believes any of these superstitions are actually going to do anything and they mean anything, but of course they kind of do. So they get married and they start to be distanced and her rage and jealousy and his just overall being an idiot caused her to kind of have, I guess, what would you say? Um, a hereditary change or, so, or somewhat. Like it, it brings out the beast in them. Yeah. And this is a difference between a lot of the other. There's like two ways that a monster like this is usually created. It's either through like a genetic um, hereditary disorder. Like Curse of Wolfman is actually like somebody gave birth to the beast was created from it. Or Beast uh, Within, which is a cicada part man that is a hereditary passing on. Um, or it's a curse like the Wolfman. Um, so this one is more sort of the hereditary kind of deal. Which is weird because... Because it's also a curse. <laughs> it's also a curse, but... Um, they could be both, apparently. The main guy, the male love interest, his name in this is Oliver Reed. And I could not stop laughing. <laughs> right when he said his name was Oliver Reed, I was like, oh, fuck off. Because I don't like this guy at all. He basically convinces this woman to marry him, even though he's has this, care, like this woman that he um, works with, that they're constantly flirting, they're constantly together. And it's so obvious that... They were kind of meant for each other, but he kind of ignores that and doesn't want it until after he's already been married and starting to negate and neglect his wife and her emotions and all that kind of right. stuff. And then he's like, oh, I loved you the whole time. But, Maybe. But, but there is a thing with her that they basically tell you a lot of these things, but they can't show you. And it's a little vague, but there's definitely some sexual problems she has. I don't think that she's capable of actually having sex without somewhat turning into the cat person. Right. So, like, like the thing is, is like... 
you know, she she's like an immigrant from Serbia, and you know their their whole village was cursed by cat wizards, and, <laughs> and so apparently anytime that she has like a strong emotion, whether it be like like romantic jealousy, um, jealousy, you know, like she turns into this cat monster, which they never really quite show. They work with shadows. They work with like shadows. Um, I think an That's actual Bella cat. Mo really. Um. But, so, she has this thing where she feels that if she were to kiss her husband in, like, a romantic way, then Which, she would just devour him. I would say that that's more comparable to, actually, sex later on. In, like, the 80s version kind of ups that with, um... There's an 80s version? But it has an incestuous twist to it. Well, I mean, why wouldn't it? It's yeah, 80s. and it's Malcolm McDowell and Akasha Kinski, so... Oh. Let's yeah. <laughs> undo the incest part, then. Yeah, but, um... <laughs> Yeah, it's and uh, John Hurd's in it. It's a pretty cool movie, uh, good soundtrack. I think you'd like it. And it, it, it does make a nice piece with this one because they're so different. Now, the original is definitely a classier film, I would say. Um, yeah. There's a really good pool scene. And you think mm-hmm. about being in a pool, how bad you're screwed. Like, you really can't get out. And I immediately started thinking of stuff like um, It Follows and that kind of thing. And, of course, the legendary Chud, too, which I bring up every chance. <laughs> I can't. Is that and with the full thing. I'm sorry, guys. I know. I know. Uh, I'm the only guy that likes Chud 2 and is the only idiot that would ever bring up Chud 2 and to talk about cat people. I don't think I've ever seen Chud 2 all the way from start to finish. <laughs> uh, I just... I don't dislike it. I just, I, you know... I think most people would say that's for the best. Right. Um, so, anyways, I... I thought the performance for the lead was really good. I thought she was an interesting character. I thought she had the universal monster thing going on because she's sympathetic because she's kind of an out, uh, outcast. She's lonely. She And um, she the only solace she has is going to the zoo and staring at the panther. And they like kind of um, uh, malign the panther a lot in this. And when she talks, you know, it, she has like a... a a connection with the panther which yeah. i really like she just stares at him and and i like how the key all works at the very end and how it plays out they set that up pretty nice there's a lot of setup in this movie um the zookeeper jander guy um he's kind of, every scene he's in he's singing a song about like having nothing to do and then therefore just having an affair yeah um and, and it's playing into her jealousy and anger right um yeah there's there's quite a bit of foreshadowing i will say that the uh it is kind of confusing because, like, especially the beginning of the movie has, like, a lot of, like, time skips where we kind of, like, skip, yeah. like, a month or two at a time. Um, so, like, it might be, like, the fifth scene and they're already married, but you really think only, like, two or three days passed. And you're like, what? Is no, that, is that how it does seem like 40s? that, but it's a short movie, so it, it, is it really goes by very movie. quick. I do like that in the background there's constantly something. There's the, the rain yeah. and then they'll have the snow. It's kind of like, I don't want to say it's Hitchcock. Because then Rear Window, they had that where you mm-hmm. could like literally see the background and you're like, oh, there's literally like a whole set thing going on over there and it's obviously staged to be there and it's really right. interesting. Like the backgrounds are interesting, not super interesting like that, but they're at least worth watching. Something's in the back. It's not cheap. It's It doesn't seem cheap, although it was not made cheap. I yeah, think. I mean, no, it doesn't look cheap at no, all. It looks, it looks really fine. Um, you know, the I really like um, the love interest, the... 
the co-worker. I thought she did fantastic. I, I like everybody's character in the movie mm-hmm. except the psychiatrist and uh, most of the males. Males suck in this movie, actually. Yeah. And, and it's just weird. I think it's probably like a 40s thing, but I don't know if you're ever really supposed to like the husband just because he's such a jackass. And he's just literally, they go to this art exhibit and mm-hmm. they're supposed to be looking for, for, it's a work thing, but the wife comes with her and um, comes with the husband and her co-worker, his co-worker, who's a female that he's interested mm-hmm. in, obviously. And they're walking around and she's in a really good mood for once and everything seems to be going well and then all of a sudden the husband's like well you don't have to come you none of this stuff would interest you and she basically kind of shoes her off to go away and you're just like right. what a moron well the husband like can't pick up on social context in general like he tells the uh his, his female co-worker the one that they kind of had all a thing about for. their personal stuff yeah he tells them all about his wife's like you know like oh she done like this and you know she's going to psychiatrist and it's like don't be telling everyone my business. And I'm allowed to tell everybody about somebody else's business, but don't don't that someone else tell me. The psychiatrist <laughs> is such a pervert. He's like one of the. He is like, and the stuff he says, it's not like Carnival of Souls, where you're like, I think this guy's trying to help. You're like, this guy is just a jackass, right? Like, he is just like, I think that it's basically like somebody like that in high school that you're talking. To, you're like, I had a weird dream. You're like, you know what that means, man? That means that you. It's just like just pulling this bullshit out of their ass i feel like every time he talks he's just like making this shit up and he's just like he's just a psychiatrist that's trying to use it to get laid i literally think that he's interested in her because he's dark and he doesn't understand her right and he pays with it with his life and i'm glad because i don't like him well you know i think that i think psychiatry psychiatrics i don't know the word psychiatrist Um, what the science of it I, i think it's like a new science when this movie's made I mean, when was Freud, like the 20s? So I, There is a lot of times when people just completely didn't believe any of that stuff yeah. for a long time. And, and a lot of people really don't go to the dollar right. kind of psychological problem and stuff like that. They'd rather Jan Wayne it. You know, and then, you know, then they get to like the 80s and everybody's a psychopath. And, you know, that's your plot twist. It's like he was crazy the whole time. <laughs> that's because Ronald Reagan let all those crazy people out of the insane asylum. <laughs> I don't know about Reagan. I, I don't I'm know just kidding. About Ronald Reagan. Let's, just, let's just blame somebody else. Just right bl- now. Yeah, let's just blame a dead man. <laughs> It's Gerald Ford's fault because I said so. It's, is um, Gerald Ford still alive? Uh, no. Really? No. Are you sure? Jimmy yes. Carter is. Yeah, Jimmy Carter is. Yeah. Looking like a peanut. He actually just turned into one of them peanuts he's been raising all the time. <laughs> I think he's a giant peanut. That's what I think. I don't know anything about Jimmy Carter. Or, or Ford fire. or Reagan or anything. I don't know anything about anyone. I don't know anything about cat people, apparently. But um, <laughs> we're going to hop into this book. Because I always say hop into and then I just run my mouth and I eventually find it. You said you put a spot in here for me. I did. It's that little all red right, sticker. All right. So this is John Sanders' creature feet. I'm, I'm good at it. <laughs> so um, the cat people. So um, 1942, Four out of five, classic supernatural shocker from RKO producer Val Luton, who stressed unseen horror in his low-budget assignments. Simone Simon is a fragile European bride, fearful she is turning into a panther whenever her sexual desires are aroused. We never witness the transformation, only shadowy figures on windswept streets and the hint of something prowling just out of camera range. A genuinely eerie atmosphere created by director Jacques Turner. Um, I think he, he's a popular director with uh dewitt bodine script remarkably remarkably literate kent smith tom conway jane rudolph or randolph and jack holt nostalgia merchant media king of video rko laser voyeur and image turner so there we go and there's those are just like movie labels that put it out okay it's rko so show the book oh the 
Cover's peeling, so it looks like old a, from the 90s. Yeah, Terror on Tape by James O'Neill. Neil, a complete guide over 2,000 horror movies on video. And they have Cannibal Holocaust is in that book. That movie's never released on video here. Oh, it wasn't? No. What am I reading, Cat People? Yeah. Okay. This guy gives it three and a half out of four, 1942, 72 minutes. I'm not reading all the people's names. Um... This celebrated first film in the Val Luton Psychological Horror Series tells of Irina Simone. Simone? Simon? Simone Simon? Yeah. <laughs> a beautiful Serbian dress designer who also appears to be one of the cat people. Shapeshifters who transform into black panthers when aroused by passion or violence. She is unable to consummate her marriage to Vidal Oliver Smith, who then turns to his ex-girlfriend Randolph. Which brings out Arena's feline fury. A remarkably adult film for its time, some of the acting and dialogue may seem stiff and artificial, but it's all beautifully shot on sets left over from Orson Welles' The Magnificent Ambersons and highlighted by those famous scare scenes, the walk through the park and the attack at the swimming pool that still pack a punch. This is far superior to the 1982 remake sequel, Curse of the Cat People. That's not right, because there was a Curse of the Cat People, which was a sequel, and then there was a remake in 82 called Cat People. So, he kind of just mixed up the sequel, unless the sequ unless the remake was called Curse of the Cat People. Oh. But, honestly, I think that's a mix-up. There was a sequel called Curse of the Cat People. He didn't have Wikipedia when he wrote this. He should have known better. I don't give a good goddamn if he had the internet. He's an asshole. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anytime you do a bad John Wayne that says nothing <laughs> like him and say something derogatory, I will say it because right. I love it. Uh, next week is The Innocence, um, mm -hmm. another Criterion. Why do you black get and two white picks movie. in a row? Because you got two picks last time. No, that was your up. mess up. It was my mess up, but we're not giving you one and then having two of mine at the end. I don't want to. I don't give a good goddamn what what's, you what's The Innocence about. <laughs> it's The Turning of the Screw, the story. What's the turning of the screw? It's been remade a thousand times. Isn't that the Taming of the Shrew? Isn't that a Shakespeare play? I don't give a good <laughs> goddamn about Bill Shakespeare. He's an asshole. All right, we're done. Bye. <laughs> Let me get another sip of this. Ah, there we go. Okay, so questions, answers, and comments. I threw them all together this time because half the time they bleed into each other and there's not many comments, mostly just answers and a few questions. So, Eau Claire, my question of the week is, does it feel like it's been three years since the beginning of all this instead of one year laughing my ass off? Is there anything you missed that isn't back? I miss Indian buffets. Uh, that reminds me of a really great uh, photo of, uh, you guys know the old X-Men cartoon and how over, every episode Wolverine had a mental breakdown. He's always crying, always sad. Wolverine was like the saddest sack in that those movie, that show. But there's this great picture of him like just looking at a, they, they basically did a picture when he's in bed, like all crying. But they show what's in the picture and it's just Chinese buffets <laughs> from COVID. Because basically buffets, I don't even know if a lot of these buffets are ever going to come back now. Um yeah, I miss that. I miss having gatherings at my house or and stuff like that. Having like like five or six friends come over and watch the movies and and I've had family. We've had family get-togethers just because it, it is what it is. But limiting your get-togethers and limiting the contact of people and stuff like that. We I've, we've tried to do that. Everybody was tried to do that. I know. But sometimes, uh, you know, I miss just having you know a big get-together. You know people in the back playing like, stupid things like cornhole and just having food and watching movies and stuff like that that would be very nice to do 
So I do miss that. Uh, Isimisio, David Lynch is one of my all-time favorite directors. Agree, his films are hard to describe. Inland Empire is way worse than Lost Highway, if you had to summarize it. I can't stand the jacket. Carnival of Souls is a terrific film, so haunting. No need to do anything different. How your videos are, uh, as an, are, how your videos are now are. Thank you very much. Peekaboo, hello. Hope no offense. Uh, hope no offense is taken, but I can understand talking for over an hour straight about movies you have seen during the former week and then get it all out in the video. This is the charm with your videos. My point is that I kind of know since you mentioned it from time to time as you did in this episode, so-called tongue twisters or name titles and so on can be hard to say if you don't know the language. For example, this time I almost burst out laughing as you stumble on the words uh, and we're about to say sex on the beach. In my mind, I was thinking perv card incoming. Also, I know I can say slash write the original title of the movie instead of the international one. I'll just write the international title from now on if I can remember and not go back to what I have done so it becomes difficult from some and I think I mean two different movies. Shin Gojira for president. Love that movie. Okay, so he has question of the week. All that you do is top notch and in my book, so keep it going. Maybe a big contest. All your movies were only the peek and boo can enter the competition no that was a dumb joke skits could be fun or essays when you have the time a weird question also whom would you like most to rule the planet the cute and gentle gojira <laughs> why is why is godzilla cute and gentle now uh, or the sexy cthulhu i think you're putting these adjectives that aren't really there but i guess it's all subjective or can aquaman charm his way into that ruler position i turned aquaman off after 30 minutes so i don't think aquaman's going to charm his way out of anything okay um R.I.P. Aquaman. I know it was the guy who played Aquaman who passed away, but Aquaman died with him. Can we say Aquaman died with him? Um, speaking of Rick Baker, that was one of his first effects, right? An Aquaman? Okay. I uh, brought up Rick Baker earlier from Cursed. Oh, jeez. Who would I rather have rule? Godzilla or Cthulhu? Jeez. What is, Kulu, what is Cthulhu's endgame again? I don't think it's good. I think Godzilla just wants our nuclear energy. Ugh. I'm going to have to go with Godzilla or Gojira. Let's have him rule. And then we can have like all his like friends and stuff. And he will protect you. He will protect you. Cthulhu might not care if you get massacred. Um, great update and be safe. Okay, so Dead Flintstone. I generally love the format of the show, Dave. I really like it if Jeremy appeared for an occasional full episode with you, if time permitted. I think you bounce off each other really well. Thank you. It would be great to have somebody sit in on every review, but I'll never have time. Maybe if I retire. If I'm still doing this and I retire, I will definitely have somebody sit in, probably Jeremy with every other movie. Um, Dead Flintstone, you were spot on when you said that describing a Lynch movie is like describing a dream to someone. It made sense at the time. Lost Highway is rewatchable. Is it is a rewatchable noir masterpiece and a wonderful puzzle. Milo, uh, Milo one six nine. We need a segment every week where you try to pronounce clandestine correctly. There we go. Uh, Mandy Cage, great video. I really like that you show footage of the trailers of the movies you talk about. Maybe recommend movies that are similar to compare. Show is cool. I did it. I did it for you. There we go. Um, Ilk Vomit, much like the weekly western, which seems to only pop up every now and then, I would love to see you include a weekly old school kung fu flick review. I feel like you were right on the cusp of becoming a big fan when someone from your Patreon had you review in Shaw Brothers films. But I don't think that person is part of your Patreon anymore, so you kind of fell off the kung fu wagon. And of course, you would need to make a badass intro for the kung fu segment. Also in this video during the reviews with Jeremy, I noticed the cabinet in the background with some collectibles that show something. Um, show that off sometime in the future video, please. Also, the giant behemoth is awesome. That's the one of the main movies that influenced the original Godzilla. 
Monster Movie Man 13. Hi, Dave. In terms of show ideas, after you're done with Blindspot, if you could record an intro for the new segment in the same vein as what you did with Hammer Horror, I think that would be cool. Speaking of Hammer, I'm sure you addressed this already, but maybe do the Amicus catalog of movies as a series segment. And I don't know if your reasons are copyright infringement issues with trailers, and that's why you don't do it anymore. But I missed the trailers you would play after review. Um, I, I asked a segment. I, I think that playing them like that speeds it up along, because usually the videos are like an hour, but they're like so long with the trailers at the end. And a lot of people told me they just don't even bother watching the trailers. They skip them. I personally like the trailers myself because I just like to listen to trailers all day anyways. But most of the people I've heard do not care for the trailers to play directly after. Sometimes I will, but most of the time I've opted to put them in the video. Um, so another segment idea for the show could be something along the lines of lesser known recommendations, which would be films that don't get a lot of hype or love as much as their popular counterparts in the certain subgenres, almost like your show's staff picks for you and Jeremy. Thank you for your weekly videos. Thank you very much. Nick Mua. What do you, what do me, myself, and I want to see ha in, happen in future shows? More Goomba the cat pitching in, of course. Feline respiratory. Respiratory. I can't say that right American now. English. I am drunk on nonsense. Hashtag feline representation. This is English the new English. English. I, lo I learned how to say that word, and I forgot how to say this word. So let's let's just In do Australian English. I can't say it. I can't say. It. I got a tongue twister again. I, I think like my brain is slowly rotting. In so like English. words I say in everyday life, like sometimes I can't say them if I have to think about them. It's probably a learning disability. So also you and Jeremy reviewing every movie from the Conjuring universe sitting at a bouncing ball. Mm -mm. Uh, seriously though, more classic black and white movies, please, sir. Maybe a return of the weekly Western, both regular and revisionist questions, which film festival slash home media convention are you looking forward to the most post COVID? I only go to cinema wasteland and I, I'm a cinema wasteland guy. I will be there all the time. They have it. Um, will, will there be an app? Okay. Some classic black and white films have been colorized. How do you feel about this? I got to watch the original version first and maybe possibly watch a colorized version down the line. Will there be an app that goes with the pervert cards? Absolutely not. Um, PS, you have seen Maggie Q in Die Hard 4. She's Timothy Allplant's a henchman. She was also in Darren Bowsman's latest film, Death of Me. I barely remember Death, Die Hard 4, to be honest. I don't particularly like Die Hard 4. Um, Ken Coakley, I can't really think of a way to improve the show as it's great as it is. I guess you could do segments that show your movie set up as well as some collectibles that you have. Okay, I don't have that many collectibles, I guess. Like, maybe some here and there. Um, Ken Coakley, The Choir Boys is based on a novel by Joseph Wambaugh, the former Los Angeles cop. He wrote books that were adapted for the screen. Some of them are Blu-ray, um, Blu-ray including The Blue Knight. Uh, from Warner Archive, The New Centurion, Twilight Time, The Onion Field, Kino. I strongly recommend The Onion Field as it is based on a true story. Like The Choir Boys, Onion Field has a great class, cast including James Woods, Franklin Seals, Ted Danson, John Savage. That is a good cast. Kentuckinator, for all the news, Mr. Parker is an honorable man. He will send your contest DVDs promptly and professionally. I know from experience, dude. No, you don't. No, not me personally, but a friend of mine. I'm sorry. Every time I hear, I know from experience, dude. <laughs> I have to go in the Billy Madison. Uh, thanks, man. Thanks for your... Uh appreciate that mark jones at large i also grabbed lost lost highway last week it looks good on blue yeah it looks really good great i know that um he had some problems they uh david lynch didn't want kino releasing it and they cut the troy howworth commentary which is a shame the don is dead is good i have an old dvd and then uh gwen plane have you watched the south korean film antarctic journal from 2005 it's on tubi no i have not and that was on my short list to watch but i gotta i gotta admit i gotta i'm so burnt out on 2005 movies i don't think i could do another one 
Peter England, a special review like the Weekly Western. Matthew Hudson, Dave, the thing I like about your show is that it's pure, unadulterated, 100% Dave. Whatever you do, I will enjoy it. That being said, I'd be stoked if you reviewed Explorers or King Sullivan's Mine, unless you already have done that and I missed it. Yeah, I actually covered Explorers for 85. Um, Zach Puccinelli, a new host. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it. Uh, Jason Fetters, I would love to see skits. Josh Hayes, spotlight on a director maybe. Could pick diff one each week, different one each week. Weekend watch party maybe. The weekend watch party I literally was going to do. I Not with a director, but I was going to have maybe just like a, a, a movie gathering and have like a little screening at my house where I introduce the movie. And then I uh, and it filmed the introduction. And then I afterwards I asked all the people that watched how they felt about the movie and everything like that. So I was going to do that and put it on the weekly video. I thought that would be fun and interactive with my friends. Um, when maybe the COVID stuff's a little bit less, you know, I'll, I'll go back to that. Try it. Shane Glass. How about an out of print DVD or Blu-ray of the week? Sean Donahue. Do it topless. Moods. Uh, co-signed this and Jonathan Edward Smith. Yep. I'm not doing it topless. Um, Sean Donahue, call it topless and obscure. <laughs> Sam Edwards, do it naked while straddling a magnificent steed named Javier. If that's too much work, nothing really. Oh, I'm liking some of the other suggestions, though, about weekly westerns. Maybe more themed episodes and such. Matthew Kander, just make sure you don't copy anyone. That's an inside joke. Um, basically, I already copied him. What? Cool Duder pretty much is the first guy doing like these movie reviews and stuff, so I kind of ripped him off. And another guy I kind of ripped off would be Cinema Apocalypse, who I don't see around anymore. So I guess I'm a big, hey, they inspired me, not copied me. Uh, I didn't copy them. I was inspired by them. Um, so Rye Guy, titties and booze. This is YouTube, man. This ain't a strip joint. I can't get titties and booze in here. Bill Casanelli, bash rare VHSs with a sledgehammer. Oh, wait, Christian Luciani beat you to it. That he did. But uh, we talked, maybe I'll get like a crane or a sledgehammer or something bigger. Oh, he already used a sledgehammer. He's a little sledgehammer, though. He should have used a big one. Uh, Salvador Funkenstein, I know you're a busy man, but I wouldn't mind seeing goofy skit every once in a while in random old vids like the peanut butter addiction one. You proved you were pretty, plenty capable. Many, maybe segments based on anything special you want to do that month. That would be fun. Um, David Gibson, much more nudity. Tony, uh, G, Tony the Dead, everyone is saying more nudity. I'm going to say the opposite and say way more layers of clothes. Yeah, I like that. Let's do it. Uh, Shazim Barbarian, I would like to see human sacrifices. Okay. Uh, we'll start with like two-time convicted child pedophiles on the human sacrifices. What do you guys think? I don't see many objections to that, right? <laughs> um, Jay Wall, skits for sure. Justin Patrick, having a weekly segment of me telling you you're old and need to go to bed. Um, I'll probably fall asleep because it'll take you six hours to do that. Um, Susie Aiea, uh, I would say the same thing every time. VHS versus DVD versus Blu-ray footage comparison for the same film. That is a great idea, and I would love to do that. But the ripping capabilities of taking the VHS to the DVD and everything like that would be so time-consuming. And I think a lot of movies would be worth doing it, for sure. Or side-by-side -side comparison of different cuts of films. But I am more of a quantity over quality guy for sure right and i would be the first to admit that to be honest i just brush brush i just barely touch the subject i'm not a deep dive person unfortunately i would like to be a deep dive person with a lot of things but it's just time you know time man time permits me from doing it uh so question of the week hmm. you know i didn't write a question of the week i didn't i thought i'd just come up with one on the spot but okay um Jeez. If you guys could hear me do a commentary on any movie, um, what would it be? Let's just, that's a quick one. What, what movie do you want to hear me do a commentary on? 
I know it's, it seems like kind of like self-absorbed and I normally don't want to do that, but it's the first thing that came to my head. So we'll do that. I guess we're going to, you know what? I'm going to draw because I don't like doing the, the drawing like in the, the way I do it. So these are the Patreon things here. So I'm going to draw four movies out. All the Patreon ones are in here for the next four weeks to see who we got. So I'm just doing it now. Then we're going to hop into the update. So what do we got here? Who's going to be one? Try to dig in deep. And if you are a patron, a patron, and you haven't been drawn out in a long time, contact me. I'll push. You, we'll just we'll pull one of your names, or we'll get one of your movies out. Um, because I know that uh, Tristan got three in a row, three last last time, so it's not necessarily the fair. Oh, geez, he got pulled out again. I don't, that's insane. Like literally, there's so many different names in this hat. Tristan Collier, he put Monos. Um, so that's that's one. He's got so many movies in a row. <laughs> okay, what else do we got here? Travis Lithscum, we got Moonstruck. Is that the Bond one? Is that a Bond one? What else we got? It sounds like it's porn out there. It's all Adam Returning Dead, but he says it's coming down and he gives that German German word. And then we have Jim Simon, the pit. They eat meat. I love the pit. Love the pit. I love the wa I can't wait to watch that Blu-ray too. I haven't got a chance to watch the Kino Blu-ray. Um, big big fan of the Connexploitation movie, The Pit. Jamie. What's the tagline on that? Jamie with the teddy and everything? I can't remember it. And then last, we have uh, Ricky Riley, who is Lorna, and that is Snack Bar Budapest. So um, have that one as well. Did not get a chance to watch it, of course. And it might be a, a Tinto Brass. So we got some weird movies here. Let's go over them again. We got Manos, The Pit, Moonstruck, and uh, Snack Bar Budapest. Some, some oddball titles here. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll do five right now. I kind of let's just do five, and that way I'll do for the next five weeks. Because originally they were supposed to line up with months, but now they're all messed up, so they're all mixed up. So we'll do five at a time now. So I'm, not, I'm just going to do five in that way instead of doing that. So Dan the cameraman, he picks top 250 from the Internet Movie Database, but it has to be from the ranks of 100 to 150, which is <laughs> pretty interesting. Gives me a nice choice to choose from. So I guess we're going to hop into that update. All right, here we go in the update. First up is The Beguiled from Kino Lorber, starring, of course, Clint Eastwood, and directed by Don Siegel. I think this is a new uh, master. It might be the same. It definitely has a new commentary on here by Cat Ellinger, which I love seeing. So, yeah, I had the old uh, Universal Clint Eastwood set, but, hey, I upgraded. Then we got Clint Eastwood and High Plains Drifter. Awesome movie. Cool Western flick. And uh, maybe one of the only semi-horror films that Clint Eastwood ever did. Um, yeah. Uh, who directed this one? Was it actually done by Clint Eastwood himself? I think it was. Very cool. I've, it's been a long time since I watched this one. I know Jeffrey Lewis is near. Probably a bunch of other character actors I forgot about. And then we have from Kino Ulysses, which Kurt Douglas. Man, I saw this on TV when I was a kid. I've always liked the Odyssey story. I remember the one with, um, geez, who's the guy from uh, Judge Dredd? Um... Geez, I can't remember his name. Uh, he's in a bunch of stuff. Uh, I can't. He's he's he's, uh, he's, he's, he's um he's losing my head. Whoever Armin Asantes or Santes. Yeah, I remember seeing that one in in high school. Um, 
But this one I actually saw on television years ago when I remember Kirk Douglas being tied to the, the boat screaming with the mermaids and the sirens calling to him. So yeah, I'd like to see that. Cool movie if I remember. I think it's an Italy co-production too. So we have Gremlins 1 and 2. I have Gremlins on 4K. Did not have Gremlins 2 on Blu-ray. I love Gremlins 2. I actually prefer Gremlins 2. I'm not saying it's a better movie. I'm just saying that uh, it's got a lot of different Gremlins and I'm dumb. I'm like, look at that one. That one's a vegetable Gremlin. And that one's an electric Gremlin. So that's just me. Um, then we have Boris Karloff, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson's uh, The Body Snatcher. Bell Lugosi and Boris Karloff. That's very cool. Um, this is, I think, part of the Val Luton produced collection. This, uh, yeah. I'm trying to pick up all those that get released on Blu-ray as well. And then we have the Hammer Flick, The Brides of Dracula. I had it in the Universal set, but I think that the uh, aspect ratio is off. This is one of the finer uh, Hammer Dracula films, for sure. Good one. Peter Cushing is the man. Good good film, too. And then we have The Reckoning. Um, yeah, this is the uh, Jeez Who Neil Marshall film. I hear mixed things about it, but you know what? I'm willing to give it a chance, and if it gives some Neil Marshall some money, hopefully it did. So, yeah. Then we have some DVDs. We have Evaporation by James Bell. You guys know James Bell or you don't. His movies are pretty crazy. Um, this is his 10th release. Boom. Uh, look how weird and gory. They just look like snuff films. and They're just very bizarre. Um, I like them. They're short and they're different and they're weird. Um, then we have uh, Symbolicus. Um, symbol this is just a word, Symbolicus, um, which is a, a short anthology. It has a bunch of different uh, people in there. Um, a bunch of people I know, Joe Meredith, uh, Michael Todd Snyder, Maggot, Marcus Cook. I actually bought my version from Marcus Cook, John, James Bell, Cindy Meredith. Very cool. Victor Bonacore, uh, Jesse. Um, yeah, so I'm interested to check it out. Should be cool. Um, then we have The Demon. Uh, this is an Asian film. Didn't know much about it, but I bought it because it was by the guy who did Freeze Me, and Freeze Me sounded so good that when I was looking up his movies, I saw that he did this one, and I was like, you know what? That looks good, too. Might as well grab it. It's called The Demon. Uh, let me see if I can... They'd be better off with strangers. I'm not definitely not going to be able to say the director's name. Uh, you guys know me. Uh, Yoshitaro Nomura. So that's as good as it's going to get. And then we have from Tokyo Shock, Freeze Me, which I'm going to give you the privilege of freezing forever with my past. Ah, very cool tagline. So I think this is a revenge flick. I'm a big revenge flick, especially Asian revenge, revenge flick person. So uh, definitely going to check this one out when I get a chance. And what year is it? Um, can't see on there. 2000, 2002. So uh, yeah, that's Freeze Me. And I guess we're going to hop back to the video and get out of here. All right, guys, before I get out of here, I want to give a shout-out to David Luton. Thank you for your Patreon contribution. Um, but as always, guys, have a good one. Mm.